The subject for the evening talk is the ending of the eye. Incidentally, usually during the uh, retreat, um, when we were co-teaching, Yvonne would be uh, giving uh, a talk during the middle of the retreat or so. Uh, but Yvonne has been for quite a bit of the past a few years in uh, uh, India, and it can be a rather, some of you know, demanding place on the body for health uh, issues. And as sometimes happens, the preparation for the talk and all the energy that's required in generating the talk can be a little bit draining. So uh, we talked a little bit about it. So I'm the poor substitute for Yvonne (laughs) this evening. (laughs) So the ending of the eye. In simple basic area of contact and the relationship to the world that we have, we can say that there's the world has a, which we have a contact with, and the contact comes through the five sense doors, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch. And upon the touch of the contact, a particular a feeling arises. And in the arising of the feeling, it can be pleasant, can be unpleasant, or somewhere between the two. And whether we are the Buddha of the Buddhas, or whether we are as ordinary as ordinary can be, the world has its touch, its impact upon us, and also the arising of memory, the arising of thoughts about the present, the arising of thought about the future, whether one's the Buddha of the Buddhas or ordinary as ordinary can be, all of that belongs with the whole field of what it is to be in this world. And it doesn't have to be that the I, the sense of the I, is, as it were, all wrapped up in the contact. Nor, in fact, in just the bare feeling which actually arises in the moment. But there can be a movement which happens after that, which for this we call desire, the force of uh, wanting, the reaching out to try to get, the aversion towards, some form of desire in relationship to what is pleasant, what is in between, or what is unpleasant. And when we look at ourselves and we say to ourselves, at what time is the sense of I, of me, strongest? When is the ego in its most, as it were, self-assertive form? When is it strongest? And its strongest is, generally speaking, when one wants something. And in the wanting, it's like the very force of the wanting is held up, as it were, with the eye. So, if you think of any uh, situations um, uh, here, those of you who are still wanting something from life, 
that when you think of any situation where the uh, I is strong, one thing goes with it. Like wood and trees, it goes with it. And so, there's the contact. Common. There's the pleasant, unpleasant feeling. Common. What we make of it, what we do with it, begins then to separate us. And, as I said, the force of wanting uh, begins. With the force of wanting, it generates uh, an increasing degree of identification with, a grasping on to, and a whole world of becoming. What we are, what we become, what we think we are, what we want to be, or whatever. So, tracking ourselves and learning and knowing about ourselves is the capacity in life to bring awareness to that kind of movement. Therefore, picking up on the contact, picking up on the feeling that arises from it, picking up on what we do with it, and the form of identification, clinging or attachment that goes with it, and a recognition of what happens, what becomes of that in time. And the pleasures and pains, uh, highs and lows of our existence, are tied up with and bound up with that movement. Not unusual. And criticism has been made various uh, times in these situations where one says, well, if I just observe the, and notice the contact, the bare contact, and notice the feeling just responding to the contact or the outcome of the contact, and then I have no desire because the eye pollutes the desire, it generates it, it supports it, then I'll do nothing. I'll collapse. I'll have nothing to do. I'll have no motivation to do anything or whatever. And because I won't have desire, therefore I won't have attachment and clinging, and uh, therefore I won't become anything, and therefore I'll join the vegetable kingdom. <laughs> Some already have, actually, but... <laughs> so, sometimes we, we misunderstand that in this movement, contact, feeling, desire, attachment, uh, becoming, that there is, in the willingness, to really give attention to the force of desire, that something can begin to transform itself, where the sense of movement of life doesn't feel to be, nor seem to be, nor is it, tied up with ego, I, me, and my, and wanting, wanting, wanting. The movement of life is unfolding, it's manifesting, itself, there's still contact and feeling revealing itself, but and there's a sense it's the movement of life 
rather than I, me and my charged with wanting. One of the easier ways to know how much wanting there is going on is not so much by the movement but by the relationship to the results. If one is looking at oneself and stopping and giving some attention to the whether it's desire or movement the result can, if we have some clarity in ourselves give some indication if there's dependency on the result if the result must happen if I must get things to work out the way that I want them to then it's a sure sign ego is there trying to keep control over the situation and the relationship to the result hangs on a view of success and failure things working out, things not working out and the very welfare of our being, the very sanity of our being then gets dependent on what is the movement, what is the connection with results of course, naturally, when you and I are engaged in a movement and activity and dedications and commitments, naturally, most things, there's some perception of anticipation of the results that come. But if it's just movement and acknowledgement of results coming, then there is clarity and wisdom and insight in that process. If it's the will, the force of desire, the wanting, must have and all the intimations of dependency then it's desire, then it's I, then it's ego and then it's an ignorance of understanding. And the difference between the two makes a difference between living wisely and living foolishly living uninformed about the process of life and living informed about it in terms of a a deep way so it's not surprising in the teachings in the the Dharma of the Buddha he speaks so uh, frequently about the suffering unsatisfactoriness uh, all the outcome of it and then says a cause for this a cause for it is this the force of desire can we take that movement the ego, the I reduce the potency of it therefore we see a movement we see the effects of movement we uh, learn to stay in touch with that whole sequence and process There's a lovely statement of the Buddha and it ought to give each and every one of us um, cause and uh, inspiration for uh, reflection. In in an environment like this we speak uh, uh, a lot, maybe too much about about being aware of what is present. Be aware of 
presence of the breath, be aware of the presence of the body, be aware of the presence of inner life, be aware of the presence of what one is doing, and so forth. And uh, Yvonne was uh, speaking to Extended this morning about the meditation and all that goes along with it. And from time to time, the Buddha made this comment. He said, one is not only aware of what is present, but one is aware of what is not present. And sometimes we can put so much emphasis on what is present, we actually miss or overlook what is not present. And with desire, uh, uh, particularly, where the eye is uh, caught up and uh, trapped in and involved in the movement of desire, generally speaking and often, if the same desire keeps repeating itself and one keeps thinking, if I only had and this could be a spiritual object as much as material or social or role or whatever, all the ways that it can come. It's often the movement of the desire is some kind of compensation for something which one sees is missing. And one feels, if I move, I get this, whatever it might be, that which I get will thus fill some kind of hole inside of me, something which is missing. So we kind of generate desires because if something is lacking and in the feeling that something is lacking, I get this and then it will replace what's lacking. Why would one want a desire? If it wasn't to get something because one felt something was missing. And it seems we're such strange creatures We never seem to quite get it clear that in the force of the contact feeling and then when the desire comes out of it and we get what we want so we feel okay temporarily that it is incredibly temporary and in the temporariness of it it fades away and in its fading away it leaves another gap another hole, so we go on back to the same thing again or we get bored with it and if we're not addicted then we'll move on to something else called Dharma language, samsara called the wandering on from one new thing to the other so we may be aware of what is present called the desire but we may need to stop, as a number of you have been doing, to look and say well what is lacking? What is lacking? And sometimes we know, we've had this experience, where we've put so much attention into one thing to get something, someone or whatever it might be, it hasn't worked out, or it isn't working out, so to overcome the disappointment of it all, we throw ourselves into something else. Some people, it's it's work. The rest of the life is missing, undernourished, underfed, unfulfilled, 
or whatever. So, quite common there's, uh, to escape from looking at all of that, from looking at what's not present, one puts all of oneself into work. Some will say, oh, not yet. Typical male. And others will say, oh, they put all themselves into something else, or whatever. So if we can just stop and say, well, maybe the force of desire, if it's a compensation, maybe there's something else which is unnourished. Something that I'm not seeing, I'm not receptive to, that's not being picked up out of the world of contact and feeling, and if I can just sense more of something else, not through wanting, but through receptivity, through interest, through connection, through the moment, through the day, through the communication, if nourishment can come that way, perhaps that nourishment will take the dependency and the wanting out. And I have a more expansive view of life. There's much greater sense of nourishment through life. I feel the nourishment and I feel it so much, whoever, the, whatever the eye is, feel it so much that somehow the idea of wanting, wanting and going after seems rather gross, rather crude rather selfish, rather narrow, rather restricted. So to some, it's not just enough to look at the force of desire, whether it's to get or get rid of. Those forces may be systematic and indicative of nourishment for the being needed in other ways than what we have thought. Because if desire is conditioned, which it is, then the thoughts about it are also conditioned. And so sometimes we just go the same old repetitive way of looking for fulfilment. And we can't get out of that frame set of looking in another way altogether because of the conditioning of the desire and the conditioning of the thought which goes with it. And, it. and the very force of the thought and the desire is a blind spot. And we can't see, we can't pick up what's nourishing. Therefore, we go to where it's unfamiliar. We look we explore, we take an interest in that which the thought doesn't normally look to. Sometimes in the ordinary, in the everyday, which is what I uh, um, have in mind here, The small gestures of the day have a significance for our well-being more than the grand ones. And in our receptivity to the small things of the day which touch us, 
something can respond in the heart which is joyful. And one begins to get a sense in life of a shift which is taking place in us between one of the important distinctions between in Dharma language, not necessarily in semantic language, in Dharma language, between pleasure and joy. And the distinction is that in the area of pleasure in life, not all, not, not an absolute here, there is quite often a movement towards in order to secure for oneself, natural and human enough, but as we know, our whole life can be conditioned with imagining and thinking that to be happy, I've got to move towards to get, and this will give me happiness. But those who live like this have a terrible track record in terms of being happy. As we know, there are plenty of people who are extremely wealthy. They can go and buy anything they, they want to buy, go anywhere they want to. They can do anything that they want to do. They have the uh, desire for it, the purchasing power, the uh, financial resources, uh, and etc., uh, etc. Et and does one, does one ever see an equation of wealth, riches, and happiness? Or is it more likely unhappiness, problems of the psyche, emotional life, alcohol, drugs, gambling, addictions, despair, the whole track record all while living behind electric fences in opulent prisons. So, it seems like the force of desire, the access to pleasure, doesn't seem to create and generate a happy, healthy psyche. So, when speaking of the contact and the feeling and the receptivity, it's as though, with the clarity that can come with it, when the force of desire and ego infection in it fades out, it generates a greater receptivity to us, which touches us, and it brings out of the being a joy, and that joy seems to be one of not wanting nor claiming ownership of. Just the gestures of life. Walking and we see a lovely sunset evening. We don't think, well, I'll buy that piece of real estate that the sun is setting on, or some might, that, or whatever it might be. We look at the night sky, we see a, a field of silence of things, we're touched by the nature, we uh, appreciate a, a communication between two people or, or more or whatever. There are a whole manifestation in life of 
in a way, countless beatitudes, countless sweetnesses of life which uh, touch us. And in that, the force of that fading of the, of the desire, and I, me, and what I want, etc. And in coming to the cessation of all, all of that, it produces a liveness. It doesn't generate a deadness or a, or a detachment or, or an alienation. It's only the force of desire, frustrated, not getting what one wants. Only desire can produce deadness in people. Through all the pressures, disappointment, unfulfilled, not getting what we want, being hurt by, not, not achieving, not arriving at all the goals that we have set ourselves, etc. And the mind gradually, systematically becoming flat. And the eye kind of crunched into disappointment. So aliveness actually comes through through the being, through awareness and sensitivity and connections with. And for that, it requires all of the senses. All of the senses. Sometimes the awesome pattern of desire, as some of you have spoken about, comes out in its imbalanced way through one sense door. And sometimes, as, as we know, common women, common with uh, men, that there's some, whatever it might be, unease that is going on from within, and one feels undernourished, and the whole association with that is food. So the force of desire runs, and it runs to tongue, it runs to the refrigerator, it runs to the food cupboard, or, or whatever. And the tendency keeps going to the same thing. And then conflict starts, the love-hate relationship, with attraction-aversion relationship uh, starts with it. And that pressure builds up for the eye. Maybe the other four sense doors are being neglected. Maybe there isn't nourishment coming through breathing. There isn't nourishment through coming through walking on the earth. There isn't nourishment coming through contact with others. There isn't nourishment coming through what we see and hear and smell. And that there's a very gross imbalance taking place. And everything gets concentrated, that force of desire, one thing, eating, eating or drinking, drinking, or drugging, drugging, or whatever it might be. Life has restricted itself into a form of desire particularized. Teachings are to see the cessation of this I involved and caught up in this desire. It is to see the cessation and liberation is the cessation of that movement in one's life experience. Complete extinction of it. That is the ending of desire. That desire in the way that I have been speaking to you of. And in the cessation of the desire, the I which is involved in that is also reaches its extinction. It has ceased to be.
And therefore the language of I is the language of I. I am sitting here. After this I will get up and I will go out of the, of the room. I remember this morning, etc. I remember uh, that I have this to do tomorrow or whatever. It's the language of communication. It's the language of expression. And the language of I and my, it doesn't feel to be, it doesn't think to be, it doesn't uh, sense to be full or charged with this desire. So the I is extinct, the I of desire. Therefore it's just language. It's a shorthand term to describe. I am sitting here, shorthand term of body sitting here, I am sitting here. So, so the vigilance with the, the force of desire is the way for freedom of being. It's a truth, a major truth, a noble truth, a noble fact of existence of the old text. Say, that desire is a cause for suffering. There are times in the meditation and there are times in the day when we can say with all honesty and clearness to ourselves and it's a very important and rather wonderful thing to say there is nothing whatsoever I want from this world I have no demand on anything or anybody near or far past, present or future and there is nothing more and nothing which I am demanding or expecting or wanting from myself. That there is no presence in the psyche, in the moment, of wanting. And it's not just because, I mean it's easy to say that when one has really been wanting something, wanting a job and wanting a relationship and having got the relief from the wanting by getting the job, or getting the relationship, or the extra cup of tea, or whatever it is. Oh, nothing now I want. You know, I'm, 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 I'm sure um, um, every unfortunate um, heroin addict, um, after just fixing up there, says, nothing I want. <laughs> because it's just got relief from the desire. So in that moment, of course there's nothing that he or she wants. But I'm speaking not as an outcome of, but just in a sense of immediacy, in which in those periods and moments there's nothing whatsoever of wanting, therefore there's nothing of the I looking for, reaching out for, fighting against, pursuing of, or whatever. And in that state of not wanting there is um, a natural capacity of being and a certain uh, steadiness and openness which goes with it and there's in that acknowledgement of that nothing that I want from life no demands on anybody or anything inwardly or outwardly nothing whatsoever 
There's something precious about that, we might call it uh, emptiness, we might call it suchness, we might call it just clear awareness, recognition or whatever, it doesn't matter what the language is. But that not wanting, not demanding, not expecting, not looking for all the absences of is a key to what a true, genuine, authentic freedom and liberation is in life. And if we you know, don't get lost in our methods and techniques here, don't get lost in doing the form absolutely properly or whatever, all of that's a little scaffolding, it's a little outer, it's a little entertainment for the mind or whatever, in order that there can be genuinely those periods which are precious, precious beyond belief, in fact, of not asking for, not wanting, not needing, not looking for anything, being deeply, genuinely, authentically clear, clear about it. And trusting in that, and recognizing and acknowledging those times and those moments. Sometimes, of course, a few minutes later, ten minutes later, one hour, next day later, the force of wanting is back with a vengeance. <laughs> it's almost the I and the desire saying, right, <laughs> for taking no notice of self and its vested interest, here it comes like a rocket. And sometimes within a few hours or a day, or whatever, the force of desire and wanting can seem to peak and one is utterly caught up in something and the whole of one's life is hanging on the outcome and all of that, that can be going on in those, in those times because sometimes when we bring in that uh, acknowledgement of not wanting the mind in what's unresolved unclear, unfinished, can, for some, as it were, harness itself in its energies, in its perceptions, in its feelings, in its eyeness, in its force of desire, to come up incredibly strong. And one says to oneself, my God, just yesterday, I was in Nirvana, <laughs> utterly undemanding to the whole manifestation of of life and now this I is back, the wanting is back, the agitation is back, the frustration is back in a way, difficult as it is in a way, dharmically speaking in a way it's a sign of health when something is clear and bright and steady and, and undemanding presence and awareness and then, quickly, soon after, comes a rush of wanting and desire and neediness and all that can go uh, with it. It shows that things are being released. It shows that the things are, that the force of desire is cu coming out. And we have to forget the experience of yesterday, the undemanding, unselfish awareness of existence 
and learn to deal and work with the contact which generated the feeling and the feeling which generated the desire and the desire which generated the holding and the holding which generated the repeating force of becoming. And work and, and look at that and, and take the potency out, out of that and take the force out of that and then trust, as I said earlier, there can come the movement of life which doesn't have that kind of wanting, dependency, result, uh, fixation about it. And if we can learn to understand the undemanding and the manifestation of the demanding and learn to work and acknowledge and accommodate all, all of that. Liberation is close. This language and the experience and the insight of the cessation of I isn't metaphysical and, uh, and slightly oddball and one another, another of these bizarre Buddhist ideas or, or, or whatever. Man's genuine and true to uh, experience. And so, we, as I said, we speak of the cessation of I means the cessation of that unhealthy, unnecessary uh, force of desire. And out of that, as I say, the expression of wisdom and kindness, love and uh, compassion, all that we call beautiful in life, comes out of that undemandingness. Easily, effortlessly. It comes out of that because it also doesn't have fear in it either. Fear is just one other manifestation of desire. Desire to be safe, desire to protect oneself, desire to keep away from. It's all desire in the form of fear. And then, as I say to repeat, then it's the language of I, the simple tool of description. Deeply and wisely and clearly that the compelling need to go from one thing to another, the I, the I, the me, the me, the my, the my, has faded out of consciousness. Just not uh, a bother anymore. And then there's freedom of being. And if one sees that, understands that, experiences that, and most importantly of all, uh, uh, lives it, then you've understood everything that the Buddha, past, present and futures, whatever, have to offer and have to teach. That's, that's what they have to offer. That's what is offered. May all beings live with insight. May all beings live a realized life. May all beings live with immeasurable freedom.